And uh, so right now, open your Bibles to Genesis 37. Um, and we're back in Genesis. Genesis back to basics. We've, we've taken a couple little breaks in there. Um, and I'm calling this one today, The Pit of Despair. Now, if you were a teenager in the 80s or an adult in the 80s and had some kids and all, you may know where that comes from. Welcome to the Pit of Despair from Princess Bride. But we're talking about Joseph. We come to a chapter in Genesis where the story from Genesis 37 to the end of Genesis, which is chapter 50, is Joseph's life. This is the story of Israel is told kind of from the perspective of Joseph to finish out Genesis. Exodus opens up hundreds of years later with them in slavery. But this tells us how they got there and what's going on. So we'll be talking about Joseph a lot, all right? And, uh, and, and so I, I, we're going to start out today in chapter 37 where the Bible starts, obviously. And, uh, and, and so I want us to look at this together. Um, here's what I want you to take home with you today. From our darkest moments come, become, come God's greatest works. Uh, I, I believe that that is always an opportunity. The very worst things that happen to you they're bad. I'm not going to say they're not, but they produce the greatest results. Always. Failure always produces better results. Okay? And, and so, we know the story of Joseph. We know he had failure. We know he had great results. I'm going to ask you in a minute to suspend what you know about Joseph so you can kind of understand where he is in this chapter, all right? And I, I'm going to read the chapter as we go along. In just a moment, I'm going to read the first few verses to get us going. But would you pray with me before we get started? We need that very much. If you're a believer, would you pray along with me in your heart? Lord God, in Jesus' name, we step right into the throne room, not because of our righteousness, but because of the righteousness of Christ. And in Jesus' authority, we come to the, to the throne and we call you Father. You created all things that a spoken word. We thank you and love you. And we thank you we get to call you Father. And today your children need the gifts that you've given us. We need to be aware of them. We need your, your help. And that is uh, we need God the Holy Spirit to illuminate the word that we might understand and see it and obey it for our own lives. God, we, we need to glorify Jesus for in glorifying him, we glorif you are glorified in the Son. And Lord, we thank you, uh, Father, for sending Jesus. Jesus, we thank you for coming and dying on the cross for us and being buried and rising again. Lord, we, we super celebrated that last week. We celebrate that all the time because, Lord, we can't get over the fact that you are not there. Lord, we, in my mind, it was, we're like little kids just going to the tomb every day. Going, nope, still not here. Lord, you are risen never to die again. You're, you're not going to die again. You are God, and you put on flesh and dwelt with us. And we so love you, so thank you. Father, we thank you. We love you because you first loved us. We thank you, Holy Spirit, for being obedient uh, to the plan that, that the three of you made and that you live with us to make the word come to life. And now in Jesus' name, we ask for your protection uh, from our enemy who would cloud our minds and blind our vision and, and get us to think and do things that, that uh, are not what, Father, you want. So help me to say what you want me to say, to, to do what you want me to do. In these moments, help us to comprehend your word. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, so I, I want you to, to check this out. As I said, from our darkest moments comes God's greatest works. And so we're going to see the dark moment today. We're not going to see God's greater works today, but I want you to understand that's going to happen. You kind of know what happened to Joseph probably. If you don't, uh, we can help you with that later. But first of all, 
Uh, let me read the first few verses, just, just the first four verses. Jacob lived in the land of his father's sojourning in the land of Canaan. Now, that really should be attached to the end of chapter 36. Uh, so, uh, but what it's telling us is Jacob finally got to where he's supposed to be. He's in Canaan. He's living there. Um, and, and we have these genealogies of Esau and Jacob just before this. And then it says, these are the generations of Jacob. But then it starts talking about Joseph. So we're going to see all the sons of, of Jacob over the next chapters. But again, from Joseph's perspective. Joseph, being 17 years old, was pasturing the flock with his brothers. He was a boy with the sons of Bilhah and Zilpah, his uh, father's wives. And Joseph brought a bad report of them to their father. Now, Israel loved Joseph more than any of his, of his other of his sons because he was a, the son of his old age. And he made him a robe of many colors. But when his brothers saw that their father loved him more than all his brothers, they hated him. And could not speak peacefully to him. Wow. What a beginning. So I want to talk about Joseph for a minute. And first of all, I want you to see Joseph is in an odd place. I don't know if you've ever heard. I, if you have brothers and sisters. I don't know if you have brothers and sisters. And what number brother or sister you are in that order. I only have an older sister. So I'm the baby. I'm the only guy. Only male child of my parents. Um, so, uh, but back in about the 90s, I think, late 80s, 90s, there was this whole big thing came out a lot. People got it, jumped on about birth order and what, what it means and how you act. And both secular and saved people were looking at that. And, and there is some, some things about that, that there are certain tendencies to where you're born in your family, what you do. My mother was number five out of six. My dad was number seven out of 11 children. Um, and uh, he had four sisters. And if anybody ever asked my father, how many brothers and sisters do you have? He would say, well, I have four sisters and each one of them have seven brothers. So uh, you, you can figure that out. Uh, Trey, who came to visit us last fall, his wife is number eight of eight children. And so I told her to tell people that her mom had two and a half dozen kids because two plus six. Okay. Anyway, uh, you know, so you, you may be an only child. You may be come from a very large family. Joseph is number 11 out of 12. And his younger brother is so little he barely comes into this story in chapter 37. Joseph is 17 years old. And just think back when you were 17. I mean, you know, first car, first boyfriend, girlfriend. Boys get the fumes at 17. You know, perfume, gas fumes. <laughs> yeah, they, they start focusing in on that. Every boy at 18 bows up to his dad. It's just somewhere in their 18th year, they're going to bow up. I, I, I've seen it. It, happened. it may be 17, might be 19, but they're going to bow up because I'm a man. If you're a man, go move out. <laughs> Pay your own bills. Live in your own place. Buy your own stuff. As long as you live here, I'll tell you when you're a man, okay? Uh, but they always will. They'll bow up. And by the way, you want to be a man, join the military at 18. They'll take you. The average age of a, of a guy on the aircraft carrier of the United States, they're 18 to 25 years old. I just heard stories. Somebody got to visit while the ship was underway. And they went to the captain's area. And captain's in his captain's chair. And they said, who is actually steering the boat? And they pointed to an 18-year-old kid who was actually steering an aircraft carrier. So you want some responsibility, military lets you do it. Now, they got some other qualifications for you. So you might want to check that out. But you can go do that if you want to do it. But so Joseph is 17. He may be starting to feel his oats a little bit, right? 
But he's 17. What does he know? He, he really doesn't know much. And we, when we read this, we see he's in an odd place because of his dad mainly. Now, the text is, is talking to us here. Um, and he says he is, he's keeping the flocks with his brothers in verse 2. He was a boy with the sons of Bilhah and Zilpah. Neither one of those are his mother. His mother was Rachel. Rachel's is gone. She had Joseph in old age. Jacob was older. So this is a baby in old age. He has a smaller brother, as I said, Benjamin, the last born. And, uh, and so there's this, there, we have this thing going on. But notice what it says, and Joseph brought a bad report of them to their father. So the baby is a snitch. And snitches get stitches. And some of them wind up in ditches. We got that from Joseph's life, okay? Because that's about to happen in this chapter, right? And notice what it goes on to say. And Israel loved Joseph more than all his sons. Because he was the son of his old age. And he made him a coat of many colors. Jacob has this problem, man. He had a wife that he preferred over the other one. He loved Rachel more than Leah. That's why he loves Joseph, because that's the firstborn of Rachel in her old age. She finally had a baby. Leah and these other servants, the concubines, had had all the other children. Joseph only has one full brother, Benjamin, and he's still pretty young, very young at this point. And dad makes him a special coat. And we've always called it the coat of many colors. And there is a problem we have in the Hebrew language in this text because we're not real sure how to translate that word special. Whatever the word is in Hebrew. I don't even know. But I do know they have trouble translating it. Because it could mean very colored. But it could also mean big sleeves or long sleeves. Whatever it is, this coat is a sign of authority. His dad has put the baby in charge of the older brothers. No wonder they hate him. And Jacob's not helping him. Right? Jacob is setting him up. For the hatred of these other ten brothers. But as we've learned a little bit about them. And as we'll see here. Jacob probably felt like he couldn't trust them. At 17. Joseph probably still thinks the sun rises and sets in his dad. And he goes and tells on his brothers to, their, to, to him. So he likes him because the boys can't get away with as much. Because Joseph's going to snitch on them. Right? So Joseph is in this odd, weird place. And the Bible goes on to say that the boys are really, really jealous uh, of, of them. Verse 4, but when his brothers saw that their father loved him more than all his brothers, they hated him and could not speak peacefully to him. They hate him so bad they, can't, they, don't, they don't even say good morning. They can't speak, say a nice word to this guy. Now, now that's, a, that's a bad place to be in. If you're 17. But Joseph doesn't help the situation much. Because he has a dream and he tells his brothers. Notice, starting in verse 5. And Joseph had a dream and when he told his brothers, they hated him even more. Joseph's not helping the situation. He said to them, Hear this dream that I've dreamed. Behold, we are binding sheaves in the field. Behold, my sheaf arose and stood upright and behold your sheaves gathered around it and bowed down to my sheaf and his brother said to him are you indeed to reign over us or are you indeed to rule over us so they hated him even more for his dreams and for his words now Joseph had the right to remain silent but he did not have the ability obviously 
And I do not understand why his brothers got mad at him for the dream. And I don't think they did. But, you know, there's, a, there's this kind of a joke thing out there where the wife gets mad at the husband because he had a, 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 a dream or she dreamed about him doing something bad. Actually, is how it goes. The wife dreams that her husband did something and then she wakes up mad at him. He didn't do anything. It's just a dream, right? Joseph, it's just a dream. The brothers said, so what? But instead, they take it seriously. And obviously, Joseph took it seriously because he told it. And just to show that Joseph, at this point, is not learning his lessons so well, he had another dream, and he told it as well. Look at it, verse 9. No, verse uh, yeah, 8, 9. Then he dreamed another dream and told it to his brothers and said, Behold, I've dreamed another dream. Behold, the sun, the moon, and 11 stars were bowing down to me. He's not even one of the stars anymore. He's just Joseph and but when he told it to his father and to his brothers, his father rebuked him and said, What is this dream you've dreamed? Shall I and your mother and your brothers indeed come to bow ourselves on the ground before you? And his brothers were jealous of him. But his father kept the saying in mind. Joseph tells this dream again. It's worse now. Now mom and dad are going to bow down to him. And Jacob gets upset about it. But... Did you catch the last phrase there? Jacob kept thinking about this. He didn't let go of it. You kind of know the end of the story. And I think that Jacob didn't forget. And so that helped him at the end. When we get to that many, many weeks from now. But Joseph is a special kid. His brothers are jealous of his position, and Joseph doesn't help that much. But I want you to see something positive about Joseph. He went looking for his brothers. Now his dad told him to, but he hands out, look, picks it up in 12. And his brothers were pastured their father's flock near Shechem. Man, if you've been hanging in here with me, you remember Shechem? It's not a good place. Jacob stops there. Other bad things that happened there. Uh, and, and, and Jacob stops at Shechem when he was supposed to go to Canaan. This opens up saying, now Jacob's in Canaan. He's finally where he's supposed to be. Jacob's starting to get it kind of right. And, but yet these boys, they go to the Bible, because they went on from Shechem, but it's throwing it in there to say, nothing good ever happened in Shechem. And so this, this is kind of bad. And Israel said to Joseph, are not your brothers pasturing the flock at Shechem? Come, I will send you to them. And he said to him, here I am. So he said to him, go now and see if it is well with your brothers and with the flock and bring me word. So Joseph's going to report on his brothers again. So he sent him from the valley of Hebron and he came to Shechem and a man found him wandering in the fields. And the man asked him, what are you seeking? He said, I'm seeking my brothers. He said, tell me please where they are pasturing the flock. The man said, they've gone away for I heard them say, let us go to Dothan. So Joseph went after his brothers and he found them at Dothan. Now I was just in there to let you know what Joseph is doing. But check out verse 19. And they saw him from afar and before he came near to them, they conspired against him to kill him. Now here's a question I got, I want to ask you. How did they know it was Joseph from a great distance? Coat. <laughs> Here comes old Big Sleeves, rainbow flag boy. I don't know, you know. This guy's, there he is. He thought we got away from dad, and here comes the snitch. 
And they react with violence. Look at, look at what it says. And before he's, they saw them from afar, and before they came near to, he came near to them, they conspired against him to kill him. To kill him. This is their baby brother. You know, usually an older sibling loves their baby siblings. And maybe they started out that way, but boy, they don't like him now. And that's an understatement. They want to kill him. And they said to one another, here comes the dreamer. Let you know they're kind of mocking him anyway. Come now, let us kill him and throw him in a pit. Man, they, they are ticked. Now, I know before he gets there, you can talk big, but they're going to carry us out. They're going to do their best to carry it out. And then we'll say that a fierce animal devoured him, and we'll see what will become of his dreams. But Reuben, and now remember, Reuben is the oldest, and Reuben's already tried to take his dad's authority, and he's obviously learned something from it. And Reuben said to them, shed no blood, throw him into the pit here in the wilderness, but don't lay a hand on him. And Reuben said this, the Bible says, that he might rescue him out of their hand to restore him to his father. Reuben's like, I can't stop him. They're just so angry. He comes up with a compromised position. Let's throw him in the pit, and we'll, we'll talk about it some more. And Reuben's plan is to rescue him and get him back to his dad. So when Joseph came near to his brothers, they stripped him of his robe, the robe of many colors that he wore. They ripped that robe off of him. You don't, you're not going to tell us what to do. And they take that robe off of him. And they took him away and threw him into a pit. And the pit was empty, and there's no water in it. Now, Bob's obviously telling you that because it's probably a hot place, and Joseph's probably pretty thirsty needs some water but there's no water in the pit and Joseph is almost killed here I mean very close but notice what the next verse says then they sat down to eat here he comes let's kill him no don't kill him just throw him in the pit all right we'll talk about it later terrible throw him in the pit all right let's have supper where is their mind they are emotional and violent and want to kill their brother. And they sit down and have lunch or supper or whatever. Big deal. How evil did they have to be? Here's what I want you to hear. You have that capacity as well. There's nobody in this room that doesn't have the capacity to get there. I don't know how those boys exactly got there. We get some hints there, I've said, but they're all half-brothers to Joseph, so that may play into it. But Joseph's mom was their dad's favorite. Joseph is their dad's favorite, and they hate him for it. And they want to kill him. So it says they sat down to eat. But then it goes on, and looking up, they see this caravan of Ishmaelites coming from Gilead. Remember the Ishmaelites? Sense of Ishmael. Tied back into Esau, these become the Arab peoples. They are cousins to these boys. So here come their cousins, we could say. Coming from Gilead with their camels bearing gum, balm, and myrrh on their way to carry it down to Egypt. And Judah, Judah, the, the brother through whom Christ came, said to his brothers, what profit is it if we kill our brother and conceal his blood? Come, let's sell him to the Ishmaelites and let not our hand be upon him for he is our brother in our own flesh. And his brothers listened to him. 
Let me read the rest and now I'll talk about it. Then Midianite traders passed by. They drew Joseph up, lifted him out of the pit, sold him to the Ishmaelites for 20 shekels of silver, and they took Joseph to Egypt. So, we're going to kill him. Well, let's throw him in a pit. Let's talk about it. And Judah sees this caravan coming and says, I got an idea. If we kill him, we've committed murder. We'll be in trouble. Maybe their temper's dying down. It's like, you know, we really can't kill him. But hey, we can make a profit off of him. Let's sell him. And each guy gets two shekels of silver. Because they got 20 pieces. There's 10 brothers. They're conspiring. So they sell their brother for a profit. But then what they do after that, I think is even worse than that, what they did. In verse 29, when Reuben returned to the pit and saw Joseph was not in the pit, he tore his clothes. So Reuben genuinely wanted to save Joseph. This wasn't just, a, oh man, we can't do that to dad. He tears his clothes. He's, he's grieving. And he returned to his brother and said, the boy's gone. And I, where shall I go? And they took Joseph's robe and slaughtered a goat and dipped the robe in blood. And they sent the robe of many colors and brought it to their father and said, this is what we have found. Please identify whether it is your sons or not. Did you catch that? Not our brother, your son. They're saying we don't have anything to do with him. That's your boy. That's not, he's not our brother. And he identified and said, this is, it is my son's robe of fierce animals devoured. And Joseph's doubt, no doubt, torn to pieces. They just let Jacob believe what he believed. They didn't say, no, nah, dad, actually we sold him to slavery. No, they didn't tell him that. They didn't say, well, he might not be dead. They just let him believe whatever he would believe. And Jacob tore his garments, put sackcloth on his loins, and mourned for his son many days. But check verse 35. This... I, Literally, I was rereading it this morning and this hit me. I, I didn't even notice it. All his sons and all his daughters rose up to comfort him, but he refused to be comforted. The conspirators go to their father that they conspired against and comfort him. Oh, dad, we're so sorry Joseph got killed. No, you're not. You did it. Now, I know he's not dead. Follow along, though. How awful are you when you do that kind of evil and then try to comfort the one you did it against? I don't think they'll ever forget what they did. We'll see that by the end of Genesis. And he said, he refused to be comforted. He said, no, I shall go down to Sheol, to the place of the dead, to my son mourning. In other words, I'm going to show up in the place of the dead, mourning for Joseph, and I'm going to be reunited with him there, and let him know how much I miss him. Thus the father wept for him. And meanwhile, the Midianites had sold him in Egypt to Potiphar, an officer of Pharaoh, captain of the guard. There's the pivot. We'll come to that later on. But I want you to know something I hadn't said to now, and I want you to hear this. Joseph is a type of Christ in the Old Testament. Joseph is not perfect. He is not the Christ. You can Google that. And I found one source that had 70 similarities between Joseph and Jesus. I read them all. And some of them, the guy's really stretching it. Okay. But there's still a lot of similarities between Joseph and Jesus. In fact, I won't even get all of them that are in this chapter. But I want to point out a few of the big ones here. Jesus was in an odd place. 
He is God who put on an earth suit and lived with us. Think about that for a second. The Bible says in John 1, 1, in the word, in the beginning was the word, the word was with God, the word was God. But down in verse 14 it says, but the word was made flesh and dwelt among us. Among us. Jesus put on an earth suit to live with us. And going into the robe, I want to point something out. They stripped Joseph of his robe, of his authority. Jesus willingly took his off to put us on. The Bible tells us in Philippians that he, being in the form God, and this is Philippians 2, 5 through 8, being in the form God, did not think equality with God, something to be held on to, but emptied himself. He took off his exercise of deity, his independent exercise of deity, submitted himself to the will of the Father. Philippians says, and humbled himself as a servant, and being found in fashion as a servant, he became obedient even to death on a cross. See, Joseph escaped death here, but Jesus willingly put on our clothes and died on a cross in our place. And Joseph's a picture of that is going to happen. And Joseph's brothers hated him, but the Bible tells us in John 1 that Jesus came to his own and his own received him not. And all of mankind conspired to kill him. Because it was too uncomfortable to see a righteous man who told us about our sin. Joseph snitched to his father, but Jesus said, Before I came, you covered your sin, but now you have no cloak for your sin. Jesus told the Pharisees, I've ripped off this cloak, this veneer of righteousness. You go to church, you give your money, you pray your prayers, and inside you're like dead men. And when he ripped that off, man, they didn't like that. They wanted to kill him. He came to his own, and his own received him not. And I love this part. Joseph went looking for his brothers. Jesus said in Luke 19.10, For the Son of Man has come to seek and to save that which is lost. He came looking for you and for me. He wanted us to know his Father. And he came looking for us. In another place in a parable, Jesus said, So go into the highways and hedges and compel them to come in, that my Father's house will be full. He wants us to know him, to be saved, to, to come into the family. And Joseph almost died and was sold into slavery. Jesus did die and he rose again, but he did it to free us from slavery. We all come from Adam. And Adam is the first person. And so he becomes, what he does becomes effective for all of us and he sinned and Jesus came in the likeness of Adam in sinful flesh. And as soon as he was baptized, the Bible says he was carried away in the spirit into the wilderness. And after 40 days of fasting in the wilderness, Satan came and tempted him. Tempted him, same things that, that, uh, that Adam went through, yet he did not sin. And there he won the victory over our enemy. And when he went to the cross, he had never sinned. And he took all of our sin upon him. Corinthians says, He who knew no sin became sin for our sake, that we might become the righteousness of God in him. And in Romans 6, verses 5 and 6, when we, when we do the physical act of baptism, we are showing a picture that Jesus died, was buried, and rose again, right? But the Bible says in Romans 6 that we've been baptized by the Spirit into his death. And that word baptism means to immerse or to put under, okay? So, 
If we are baptized in the Spirit, what does that mean? It means the Spirit's above us, below us, either side of us, in front of us, behind us, inside of us, outside of us. He's all around us, right? We are inside of Him. He has covered us up. And here's what it says in Romans 6, 5 and 6. For if we have been united with Christ, this passage is about identifying with Jesus. If you were here last week, you remember talking about a little word. In 1 Corinthians 15, it said we received the gospel. And that word in the Greek language was paralambano, but it means to throw it back to yourself, basically. In other words, we bring Jesus into ourselves, and we don't do that, but we, we so receive his gift that we are identified with him. It, when they look at us, they are looking at Jesus, is how it's supposed to work. And, and so Romans 5 says, I mean 6, 5 says, so we've been united with him in a death like his. We shall certainly be united with him in a resurrection like his. This is our hope that Jesus died, was buried, and rose again. And so we're going to rise if we're identified with Christ. And listen to verse 6. We know that our old self was crucified with him. What I used to be in Adam was crucified with Christ on the cross. In order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing, so we would no longer be enslaved to sin. American Sign Language for saved or salvation is this. It means the shackles are broken. We were a slave to sin. We could only do what Satan wanted us to do. Jesus breaks the shackles and we go free. And how did he do that? He came and he put on an earth suit. He lived a perfect life. As one of us, he took our sins upon him on a cross and died in our place. And now we are so joined to him, he has broken the power of sin in our life. So we don't have to obey the devil anymore. We can obey Christ. We don't have to follow the devil. And we are freed from our slavery to Satan. Joseph got sold into slavery. Jesus went into slavery willingly for us there on the cross that we might be made free. Well, what do you do with all that practically this week? There's a lot, I know. Well, first of all, being humble can go a long way. The Bible doesn't expressly ever say that Joseph sinned. And we know Joseph was a sinner because he was a human. And the only place we might point out that Joseph had a problem, and we have to infer it because the Bible doesn't say it, is chapter 37, where he tells about his dreams he may have had a sense of pride I'm yeah I'm the little one but I got the robe and y'all gonna bow down to me one day that's possible we don't know we can't get emotion off a written word we just got to read it you with me but humility would have gone a long way now obviously God's working something out and you know I mean Joseph finds himself in a pit he's got no way out they lift him out they sell him into slavery things look bad you know the end of the story. You know what's going to happen. He's going to rescue everybody eventually. Could God have done that if Joseph stayed humble? I don't know. But here's what I do know. Humility will serve you well. Sometimes, listen, we got those service forms. And if you think a job is too small for you, then you don't have a servant's heart. Even if you're a leader of something, if you don't understand you serve by leading, that you are a servant to all those you lead, you don't understand how this works. 
And Jesus, being chief among us, showed us that at the Last Supper when he washed his disciples' feet. And in fact, what I said earlier, he illustrated. You read it in John 13, and you, we see the, the application later. But the Bible says he took off his robe, wrapped the towel around him, washed the disciples' feet, the most humiliating job a servant had. Afterwards, and the Bible specifically says that, he put back on his garments and sat down. I already told you about Philippians. In Hebrews, uh, uh, the, the Bible says this in chapter 1, that he, after he had humbled himself, is now sat down at the right hand of the throne. He put back on his deity. He is seated in the place of judgment in heaven, and we are awaiting that judgment one day. But he humbled himself to get there. And that's why after he put back on his garments, he said, did you get what I just did to you? If I, your master and Lord, because that's what you call me and you're right, washed your feet, you ought to wash each other's feet. God is calling all of us to serve one another. And if we are not willing to serve our brothers and sisters in Christ, how are we ever going to serve the world that doesn't want us to serve them? The ones that still would love to kill Jesus. The ones who still have a hatred for him. We don't go to the lost because they want us to come. We're going because Christ commanded us to come. And then, hopefully, as we preach Christ, they realize their need. They realize their sin. I'm telling you, there's very few of them over there waiting. I just can't hope a Christian can tell me about Jesus. We see that happen. It's miraculous when it does. It's amazing. But listen, when you're outside of Christ, you have no love for Christ. You have no love for God. The Bible says that we were of the world. We hated God. We hated everything about him. But he breaks through that barrier and he saves us and he shows us how much he loves us. And we love him back because he first loved us. We are to serve other people so we can show them the love of Christ. Somebody say amen, please. Secondly, Jesus prayed out of his pit. We see it in the New Testament. They're taking him to the cross and he knows it. And he prays in the garden. I don't know what pit you're in, but pray in your pit. I mean, we do war on our knees. Pray when you find yourself in a pit. When everything goes dark, God's fixing to do something big. Pray in that pit. God's going to do something. It might take you home. And by the way, that's the coolest thing ever. All right, we, we see death as this horrible thing, man. It's like, whew, thank God all this is over, man. I'm going to heaven, Woo! that's awesome. We don't have to fear death, man. We look forward to being with God. We're not, you know, crazy, but we don't have to fear it. We just, we, we've got the joy of the Lord. But as we go through this life, man, some things hit us and they're tough to go through. They are horrible to go through. Everything's happened to Joseph, not good, it is horrible. He's a 17-year-old kid, he's just... He don't understand everything yet. And now he's sold into slavery by his brothers. And that's the last thing he knows for a long time. So that's my third thing. Rescue your brother. I, I've already preached. I got excited and jumped ahead. But you got a brother that is dying somewhere in this world. And God has appointed you to tell them about Christ are you going to miss that opportunity are you going because if you do you're what you're saying to them is I don't care if you go to hell I don't care I told you we have the same capacity these brothers did they didn't care if they killed Joseph 
And when you don't tell somebody about Jesus, you don't care if they live or die. See, I'm not going to die. I've already died. I'm, I'm alive forevermore. Not this body, but me. I'm, I, you can't kill me. You can kill this body, but you can't touch my soul. Only God can do that. And it's his. So you're messing with God then. But there are people that need to hear that they can be rescued. Many of them do know they're in a mess. Many of them, I, I said that earlier, maybe you, I don't want you to misapply it. Many of them know their life is a mess and they wish they had some help. And they don't know where to go and they don't know where that help is. And we, we're to, to go to them. But the Bible says in our lost state, we don't have a love for God. We don't know and we don't understand. And we need somebody to give the word so the Holy Spirit can reveal to them their need and how much God loves them. There, there was a very famous man in our world named Dawson Trotman. He started a group called the Navigators. They were real big into memorizing the Word of God, meditating on the Word of God, studying the Word of God. That was what the group was mainly about. And it's, there's, it's called, now it's Nav Press. They shortened Navigator to Nav. So if you've heard Nav Press, they're still around. It's a great group of people. His name is Dawson Trotman. Came out of World War II, started all of this. Um, and after he started all this, I don't remember the exact timeline, but he was at Word of Life Institute in Scroon Lake, New York. And, uh, and, and so while he was at that compound, that, that campus, they said, hey, you want to go for a boat ride? And sure. So he gets on a boat, driver of the boat. Two of the college girls got on the boat with him. So they're going for a boat ride around the lake. And somehow the driver hit a wake or a wave wrong, and it flipped the boat, and everybody came out of the boat. And so, as they were being rescued, I don't know who's rescuing them. They're getting back up in the boat. There was one girl was kind of above the water, and they helped her get out. And what they didn't realize was Dawson Trotman was beneath her, pushing her up to save her. And when he did that, it must have expended his last bit of energy, and he died. He drowned right there. At his funeral, and I think Billy Graham is the one who preached it, but someone said at his funeral, Dawson Trotman died as he lived rescuing others there's a tombstone in Charleston that says Randolph Melrose McCarter is my dad born 1919 died 1994 and there's a dash in between those numbers and that dash represents his entire life at the end of your little dash what do you want to say about you did you care enough about your brother to want to rescue him out of the pit?